what did you learn from that whole experience? Just having to go through what you went through. God is great. Is it that simple? God is great. You can know it all you want, but until you got to pick up that cross that you can't carry, and he picks it up for you and carries you and the cross, then you know. I don't know how much he represents to like the common person um, in these present times in this part of the world, but um, everybody knows what he symbolizes. And uh, for better or worse, we're still a society that's like contingent on these symbols to a certain degree. It makes you do good. If it makes you feel good, if it, um, it leads you to a proper path, things like that, then it is something that you should leave, live with. So if Jesus does make a good example for you, then it is a good thing to follow. Hi everyone, so good to uh, see you again. Uh, my name is uh, Toby, I'm one of the leaders here at Emmanuel, and we are continuing on in our series and looking at the seven I am's of Jesus Christ. Uh, these seven great statements that Jesus makes about himself uh, through through the Gospel of of John, and, and and the I am statement that we are going to be looking at today is, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life, and and we do well um, before we have the scripture read um, to kind of put ourselves in uh, Martha and Mary's um, uh, position. Um, this is the scripture uh, where Lazarus gets raised from the dead. And so, you know, so many of us, we, we know the story and now we, we, know, we know the ending. And, but that wasn't the case for, for Martha and Mary as they're living these events out in real time. And so we actually, we, we get most out of the scripture if we, we do that, if we put the, ourselves in their emotional kind of position. Now, now, now Martha and Mary and Lazarus, they are siblings, and with Martha being listed first and Lazarus being listed last, it likely means that Martha was the eldest, Mary was the middle child, and, and Lazarus was the little brother. Uh, what, what they were hoping for, Martha and Mary, of course, was something that they would have seen uh, Jesus do uh, many times before um, with many different people. And they were hoping for Jesus to come and, and heal their very sick brother. Um, and they, would, uh, they had the faith for it as well. Uh, that we see them in the passage sending for Jesus, what we would call praying. Uh, they're, they're calling for Jesus to come and intervene in their situation. What they weren't expecting was their brother to die. And what they weren't expecting after their brother had died was for him to be raised from the dead, at least not on that day anyway. And the reason that they weren't expecting that was because um, resurrections aren't like, you know, Tuesdays. They don't just kind of happen a lot and lots and lots and lots. <laughs> you know, that's one of the reasons. But um, another reason um, that they weren't expecting Jesus to, to raise him that day. They, look, they knew Jesus and they knew that he was a man of miracles, right? But perhaps the bigger reason that they weren't expecting anything to happen that day was because of an old Jewish tradition. Uh, the old Jewish tradition basically said that when a person has died, uh, their spirit hovers over their corpse uh, for three days in the, hope, in the hope of resuscitation. 
Now, up to this point, Jesus actually himself had, had raised two people from the dead, one in Luke chapter 7, one in Luke chapter 8. But the, the, the case of Lazarus uh, was, was very different to the other two resurrections that he'd performed. Uh, reason being, the two resurrections he performed, uh, they'd only just died. Uh, they were well within the, 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 the three-day kind of hovering period. And, and this is significant uh, because though the old Jewish tradition was, was incorrect, wasn't true, it would have left Jesus open to accusations that those resurrections were in fact resuscitations. And you, know, you do hear about that kind of thing from time to time, mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, for example. Uh, what this means is, is <laughs> there's real intent in Jesus arriving, not on the first, second or third day, but deliberately arriving on the fourth day, waiting, holding back, letting Lazarus die actually, and then arriving after the three-day period and arriving on the fourth day to prove a point. And now let me say this, these four days point to something. Uh, from the period of the death of Lazarus uh, to the period of the resurrection of Lazarus, uh, that period is actually a picture of our era. <laughs> it's a picture of, of this side of eternity. Uh, just as Martha and Mary were waiting for Jesus to return, if you're a Christian, you too are waiting for Jesus to return. They're a picture of life's disappointments, delays, disruptions and pains knowing that any time Jesus could just burst forth through the door as Martha and Mary were hoping that he might, but knowing all the while that ultimately, ultimately, there'll be one great day of cosmic resurrection at the end of the age. And so Jesus return after a delay to raise Lazarus is a picture of Jesus return after a delay to raise us. Jesus returning to resurrect on the fourth day is a picture of Jesus returning to resurrect on the last day. Let's have the scripture read for us. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. 
Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And so uh, for us to understand uh, something of what it means for Jesus to be um, the resurrection, uh, we actually do well to first understand something of what it means, or something of what it is he's going to raise us from. Um, because the truth is, um, we will all be Lazarus. We will all face this experience of death. Of course, unless Jesus returns in, in our time, which it actually <laughs> is not at all impossible. I mean, you only have to watch the news this past week to sense that the, 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 the contractions of birth are getting closer and closer together. But if Jesus doesn't return in our lifetimes, um, we, we will all have to die. And as we all know, there are various kind of theories and, and suggestions and people kind of bounce things around in relation to, uh, you know, what death might be like. It's the same in Jesus' day, right? In Jesus' day, it was the, the three-day hovering spirit over the body. That, that's not so much the, 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 the thought process in our day, but in our day, we, we might ask questions like, um, is, is death conscious? Is it unconscious? Do, do you exist or do you cease to exist? Is it, is, it, is it pleasurable? Is it painful? Are we talking about heaven? Or are we talking about hell? Is there kind of a, a limbo or 
purgatory? Is, 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 are you able to contact the, the, the spirits of uh, your loved ones after you've gone? And, or, or, or does your energy still remain in the universe? Or, or, or is there a kind of a reincarnation? That Literally, there are many, many suggestions, thoughts, uh, and, and theories in relation to what happens when we die. And, and we do well to, to look at what the, the, the Bible says. And look, it's a, it's a question that um, <laughs> it's a question that I have considered a lot myself. You know, what happens when we die? I've considered it a lot. Um, well, in in the passage, um, Martha and Mary lose their little brother, and um, and I've also I've also lost mine. Um, a number of years ago, uh, my, I say number, four years ago, um, my little brother, Tunde, um, he died. Um, he, um, he was only 18 years old and, um, and he, he, he believed in Jesus. And, um, I, I remember, um, the day that I was told that he died, um, the worst day of my life. Um, I remember um, traveling up um, despite kind of being like in severe grief, um, feeling I, I need to travel up and see my mum and be with her and comfort her. And so myself and my wife, Nina, we, 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 we drove down as a couple of hours drive. And I remember on the way, just kind of like um, bracing myself for what I might see um, when I saw my mum the day that she was told her son had died. And um, I just remember, um, I just remember walking up to the, to the door, my auntie uh, opening the door for, for, uh, for us and then going around to the left. And I just remember seeing my mum slumped on the sofa with a picture of my brother on her lap um, and she refused to break her gaze from that picture and I just remember her crying out at the top of her voice Tunde where have you gone Tunde where are you Tunde where are you And I guess, I guess, some, I guess it's left a, a, a mark on me that scene, um, and it's one of the reasons I, I asked the question actually, because to say to someone, the generic, oh, you you you're Christian, go and be with God. Oh, you, you you go to a better place, you go and be with God. To say that is okay. It's okay. But my mum knew that her son had gone to be with God. He was a Christian. She, she, she knew that. What my mum needed was, was, was more depth. She needed more depth. And, and, and thankfully, the, the Bible gives us lots of depth. There are, there are deep and great riches of comfort with regards to death that the Bible gives us. 
And so let's consider it together. And so let me ask the question, what happens when we die? I think the first thing to do is to define what I mean by, by death. What I mean by death is, is what, what some have called the intermediate state. Uh, that is the period after your spirit leaves your body uh, and before and the, that whole period up until the return of Jesus Christ to, to unite your spirit with your body. Uh, that's what I, I mean when I'm talking about, about, about death. And, and actually the Bible, when it comes to death, um, is, is pretty clear. Um, the, the moment you close your eyes in this world is the moment you open your eyes in the next that very second, that very second, that very second. No delay, no wandering, no hovering, just immediately in the manifest presence of Christ. Uh, Paul puts it like this. He says, while we're at home in the body, aka while we're this side of death, we are away from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, he goes on to say that he would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. He would rather, he'd prefer that. It's better. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul would be even more emphatic. Uh, he, he puts it like this, my desire, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far Better. Paul's emphasis whenever he talks about death or dying, it's always Christ, the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God. That's the emphasis. But <laughs> if that's the emphasis, there's also an elephant. There's a huge elephant in the room, and, 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 and Paul touches on it here. It's, it's such a big elephant that it's, it's, it, it's, it's possible <laughs> to um, stumble over um, this next phase of existence if you're a Christian. And that elephant basically is the fact that we will be living um, as spirits without bodies. Um, that, that is like, that's, that's weird. It's weird. We, we, we haven't um, got a category for it. To, to imagine kind of like really existing without being in a kind of physical body is beyond the realms of our compre comprehension. Or is it? Because actually you have experienced something of, of what this actually kind of looks like. Actually, you've experienced something of what this looks like pretty much every day of your life. I call it one of God's uh, great secrets, hiding in plain sight. And the clue is in what Jesus says in our passage. This is what it says. It says, after saying these things, Jesus said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. What we call death, Jesus calls sleep. 
basically. Uh, and that's Jesus' uh, favourite designation for it. Um, and this isn't just like a quirk. <laughs> this isn't just a one-off in the Bible. No, 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 no. Actually, the, the Bible uses the terms falling asleep, fallen asleep, or slept with his fathers in relation to death 48 times. 48 times. 36 in the old, 12 in the new. It's significant because the Bible doesn't say many things 48 times. And, and it's through these, this repetition, it's through this example, through these clues that God litters through his word that, that we are meant to be helped and encouraged uh, in relation to this kind of mysterious yet glorious existence that is to come. And so, so what does Jesus mean by Lazarus has fallen asleep? Well, I see that he means 10 things. The first is this, and the first is easy. Um, when a person has died, it looks like they're asleep. That's the first thing to say. And, and just as a person wakes up from sleep, in the same way a person will be woken up, risen from the dead. That's the first thing to say. The second thing to say is this, that, that you are actually able to, to fight off sleep <laughs> to a point, for a period. Uh, reality is that, that sleep is a, is a, is a, a mighty adversary uh, because its power just becomes stronger and stronger and, and heavier and heavier until ultimately you're, you're unable to resist it any longer. Uh, scripturally speaking, I, I think this is what is going on a bit later on in, in John's gospel, a few chapters on from where we are in John chapter 19. Uh, because after, after much suffering in the run-up to the cross and much suffering on the cross, uh, it would say this, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's, it's almost like Jesus, as he kind of was hanging on the cross, actually was kind of hanging in there, as it were. He, he, he was, it's like he was fighting off sleep. Uh, fighting off sleep, why? Well, to, to fulfill our salvation and to fulfill the prophecy. Uh, the prophecy is in, uh, from Psalm 69 that we just had read, uh, where Jesus was, was to be offered sour wine, which he was offered. So it's like Jesus hangs on and then he, he, he realises that the salvation, salvation is complete. He, he declares, it is finished which is essentially to say, I've done it. I've done it. And when he realizes that all his work, they came, he was born to complete, was accomplished, it says that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, almost like he was, he was resisting, finish up last few minutes, last few hours, last few moments. Okay, it's finished. He stops resisting, bows his head, and then Jesus himself falls asleep. 
Another observation to make is the transition between being awake to being asleep. Uh, the truth is that um, the transition from being awake to being asleep is instant, um, it's, uh, it's smooth, and it's not painful. And it would seem that this is something of what uh, the transition from uh, being in this world into being in the presence of Christ would be as well. Uh, also, last time I checked, uh, which was actually last night, last time I checked, between my being awake and my being asleep, uh, there was no purgatory, um, just saying. Um, unless, of course, you've had some pretty um, weird cheese um, uh, that, yeah. Then all the, then all the rules go out of the window, don't they? You know, um, so 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 yeah. The transition between this life and the next life. Uh, furthermore, uh, when you're asleep, your body is, for want of a better term, disabled. Your body is disabled, but your spirit is very much alive, and this points to the intermediate state where your body is uh, dead, your, your body is asleep, your body is disabled, but your spirit is very much alive. And, and I would say this, your spirit, I would argue, is more alive than it is now. Why? Because you will be entering into the unbridled presence of Christ. Furthermore, dreaming, dreaming. Don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? Hear what I am saying. I'm not saying that the intermediate state, I'm not saying death is a dream. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is the things that Jesus says, because what Jesus often would do is he would take a, a, a natural, something in the natural and relate it to the spiritual so that it could help our understanding. This is why in Matthew chapter 13, for example, Jesus says the kingdom of God is as a mustard seed, like a mustard seed, not the kingdom of God is a mustard seed. No, what he's saying is that there are comparisons, there are, there are similarities between the workings of the mustard seed and the workings of the kingdoms. And that's what essentially I'm saying in relation to dreaming. And the fact that you, as you dream, are able to see things without eyes, hear things without ears, and experience things without a body, points to the fact that in the intermediate state, you will be able to see things without eyes, hear things without ears, and experience things without a body. Furthermore, when you are asleep, you feel no pain. You could be in the run-up to sleep, right? You could be, you know, you could have a really bad headache, for example, and, and then while you are, you are asleep, your headache is gone. It's just while you're asleep, it's just not there, which actually, when you think about it, like, why should that actually be? Like, why, why should that be? Well, well, it's because it points to something. God's designed it in that way to point to the intermediate state, whereby you could be in some significant pain in the run-up to your death. The moment that you are asleep, no pain. It points to it, showing you. Uh, furthermore, not only do you not feel pain when you're asleep, but once you've woken up, generally speaking, you feel better. What I mean by that is you could have a headache before you go to sleep. As we've discussed, while you're asleep, the, the pain is gone. But usually after you've woken up, you've raised. That headache isn't as bad as what it was before you slept. Or actually the headache is disappeared. It's gone. It's healed. Why? Well, it points to the fact that Jesus, to the, to the resurrection of the dead. 
points to the resurrection of the dead. Uh, why? Because Jesus will transfer our imperfect, transform our imperfect lowly bodies after sleep. And he restores and heals our bodies to a perfect heavenly body. Moreover, when a person sleeps, they're easy to wake up. Everyone in the room has woken somebody up from sleep. And if you are a kind person, uh, you've woken them up much the same way that Jesus raised, uh, wakes Lazarus up in this passage by calling them by name. Jesus in this passage uh, says, Lazarus, come forth, which is essentially Jesus saying, Lazarus, wake up. What Jesus is saying then is it's easy for him. It's easy for him to, to, to raise the body up and, and resurrect. It's easy. It's as, e as easy as it is for you to wake someone up from physical sleep. It's as easy as it is for Jesus to wake the body up from spiritual sleep. And lastly, the body, well, the, the way that we are, the way that we raise from the dead is the same way we raise from our beds. Uh, with our beds actually being uh, pictures of, of coffins. Sorry. What, what, what this means is that uh, you sleep for uh, an extended period of time, right? You can sleep for yeah, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours, however long you sleep for, but there's an extended period of time and then you wake up. This is a picture of the intermediate state into the resurrection where there have been many brothers and sisters, saints of old, that have been sleeping for an extended period of time, thousands of years, only to wake up on the last day of the trumpet call at the appearing of Jesus. Therefore, every time that you wake up in the morning, which is the dawn of a new day, you proclaim the resurrection because that in itself, as you wake up, is the dawn of a new day, which is to say the dawn of a new era, the dawn of a new time. All that to say that dying is with the good shepherd and death is with the good shepherd. And if you've given your life to Jesus, death is as much to be feared as going to sleep. And, and, but Jesus, <laughs> he calls himself the, the resurrection and the life. And so while we've seen what Jesus raises us from, let's consider how he, he likes to get it done. And I, I love this. I love this. You see Jesus moving through this passage with just, it's just glorious. This is how he does it. First, Jesus starts by getting Martha outside of the house and he begins to encourage her. He gets Martha outside the house and he begins to encourage her. And let me say this. It says earlier in the passage that Jews, some of the, the, their friends, if you like, came from Jerusalem to, to mourn the death of Lazarus, says that, which means that Mary and Martha's house would have been full of people, would have been full of noise, would have been full of crying, would have been full of responsibility because it was their house. And Martha likes to take care of people, if you've read one or two of her stories in the Bible. Jesus after a delay, he doesn't go into the house. No, he stays outside the house. He calls Martha outside of the house, away from responsibility, away from commotion, away from demands, so that she can get a clear head to come out into nature and, and, and go for a prayer walk, if you like, with Jesus. I could preach for 30 minutes about that, 
there isn't the time. But Jesus gets Martha out. He then begins to encourage her, saying words to her, saying to her, your brother will rise again. And her, her faith just, she just begins to lift herself. You can see her, her almost like her feet begin to, to raise. And, and then he sends, after encouraging Martha, she, he then sends Martha into Mary. And this is what it says. It says, uh, Martha said to Mary, Mary, the teacher is here. And he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And in saying she rose quickly, um, John, the writer here, is deliberately using resurrection language. So that many people know this passage for the resurrection of Lazarus. Few know this passage for the resurrection of Mary. Because before Jesus had come, Mary actually was like her brother, as her brother. She was paralyzed by death. This is what it says. It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she, Martha, went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. She remained seated. Jesus is outside. She remained seated in a house. Like my mum on that day. The truth is, this, this, this isn't like Mary. This, this isn't Mary being Mary. Usually when Jesus was in town, Mary was the first to greet him. This was Mary was the first to greet him. Such was her wonderful devotion to him. This is the same Mary who, after all, in the very next chapter, would anoint Jesus' feet with ointment and rub it with her hair. This, after all, was the same Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus as he was teaching, completely transfixed by the, the words of the kingdom. So much so that she would neglect her hosting duties, leaving them to her sister Martha, who, much to her frustration, had to take care of them on her sister's behalf. No, no, this wasn't Mary being Mary. For Mary to remain seated in the house when Jesus is outside, no, I'm going to sit here. This, this is saying something significant. And, and perhaps, perhaps you've been, perhaps you've been where Mary is. Perhaps you've prayed for something. Maybe you prayed for a situation in, in, in your family and you had faith for it. You thought it was going to happen. You thought God's going to do something, but perhaps your son hasn't come back to God yet. Perhaps, perhaps for you it's not that. Perhaps it's a marriage thing. Maybe you, you trusted God with your marriage and where things are at the moment, it's just you think, how have, how have things come to this? Maybe it's a situation in your work that you thought Jesus was going to come through on or an opportunity that you thought was going to come your way. Maybe it's a situation in relation to healing. Maybe you were praying for someone and praying for someone and you believed, you believed that Jesus was going to do something. But then it didn't get better, it got worse. And then Sunday comes and your brothers and sisters, like Martha, go out of the house to meet with Jesus. But like Mary, you, you decide to remain seated in the house. Friends, the, the Bible tells real stories about real people in real situations. This is so often how the tragic moments of life are, aren't they, for us, for being honest? Jesus, 
he knows. He knows there's something going on with Mary. He knows that he knows there's something up. <laughs> and so Jesus, who cares about his friend Mary, he cares about this family, cares about Lazarus. He's not just come to raise Lazarus up. He, he's come to raise the whole family up. And he does it in this way. He gives hope to Martha, lifting her spirits from the dead. He gives breath to Lazarus, lifting his body from the dead. He gives life to Mary, lifting her from the sorrow of death. Taking time with each as he needs. You know, friends, when, um, when you become a Christian and get to know Jesus, you don't just get to know um, the great theological lifter of the dead. When you, when you come to know Jesus, you, you, you also get to know the great personal lifter of your head. Because he says, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. It's almost like as Jesus is walking past, dead flowers begin to bloom and deserts turn to meadows. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's, 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 it, resurrection is not something that he does. He doesn't say, I do resurrections. He says, I am the resurrection. Why? Because resurrection is native to him. Resurrection belongs to him. Resurrection is his to give. It, it, it is him. Therefore, resurrection is less theology and more Christophany. Resurrection is less theology and more Christophany. That is to say that resurrection is less about a concept or principle. Resurrection is simply what happens at the appearing of Jesus. This is why Jesus never, never prays for resurrection. Jesus had never, no, no occasion, a praise to the Father for resurrection. No, no, Jesus just commands it. This is why Jesus never once prays for a person to be healed. Why? Because Jesus commands it because he is the healing. This is why Jesus never, ever once prays to cast out a demon. He just commands it. Why? Because Jesus is the deliverer. This is why Jesus never, ever once prays to, 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 for a fig tree to wither. Why? He commands it because he is the judge. This is why Jesus never once prays for a storm to calm. He commands it. Why? Because he is the peace. Jesus doesn't pray for resurrection. He commands it. He is the resurrection. Jesus himself. And what this means is that resurrection then is it's not just this this concept in the future so often as christians we know about the resurrection okay one day the bodies are going to be raised from the dead and we see this as this kind of distant future cosmic event which it is but it's more than that <laughs> because jesus is the resurrection which means wherever jesus is there can be resurrection and if you believe in Jesus, you will know that Jesus is with us right now, right where you are, in this room. He's there. He's there by the power of his Holy Spirit. And wherever Jesus' Holy Spirit comes, goes, life is. He loves nothing more than when his people gather towards his name. He loves nothing more than when his people go and receive the bread and wine, remembering his sacrifice. He loves nothing more than when the word of God is preached with faith. He loves it. He loves to be amongst the lampstands. He loves to be amongst his people. He loves to be with you. And so therefore, 
thoughts that you might have been struggling with, sins that you've been battling, issues you've been contending, darkness that hasn't been lifting. All these things Jesus is able to deliver you from. He's able to raise you up from even today. And so let me encourage you, go to the prayer team. Go to the prayer team. We have prayer team. They're trained. They're ready. They're they're willing to pray for you. And I say go to the prayer team because that's so often how Jesus loves to do it. It's so often how Jesus loves, loves to do it. And we see that in this very passage because the way Jesus raised Mary was to send Martha. Jesus doesn't go into the house, remember. He doesn't go into the house. He sends Martha, Martha into the house And Jesus is very content with being the resurrection just through Martha's lips. And we see this same concept later on in the passage. Uh, This is what it says. It says, after Jesus had called Lazarus up to, to, to rise from the dead, it says this, And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. Uh, Jesus, <laughs> uh, Jesus wasn't being lazy here. Jesus could have unbound him and unbound him himself, but instead Jesus invites his small group to do it. Why? Why? So that they can join in the resurrection work. Why? So that his joy might be multiplied, shared amongst many people. So that they could all celebrate and they could all hug and they could all embrace. And they played a part in it. Yes, Jesus did the heavy lifting, but they played a part. Because Jesus likes to do what only he can do. And he likes to tell you what he wants you to do. Whether that's delivering a prophetic word, as he asks Mary, or Martha rather, or whether that's doing the practical work as he asks their small group to, as they assist him with the very practical hands-on help. What's Jesus been calling you to do different? What thing has he been asking you to do? The truth is, Martha was obedient, and in her obedience, she saw resurrection. She saw resurrection. She saw her sister, her dear sister, She saw her sister raise up and start to follow Jesus or go start to pursue Jesus once again. She saw her sister's situation completely change. And this was Martha's message. Let me just say that again. I just feel by the the power of the Holy Spirit, I just feel prompted to just linger on that. Didn't plan to do this. Let me say it again. What is Jesus asking you to do? Where are the steps of obedience that he's, been speaking to you, that he's been speaking to you about, perhaps for a little bit of a while now? I just feel that for some, the result of your obedience is going to result in significant resurrections. You need just to trust him with it, as Martha does in this passage. And what Martha... Martha's message is is interesting. This is what she says. I love this. Martha says this, the teacher is here and is calling for you. The teacher is here and he's calling for you. Friends, this, 
This, this is the message. This is the message that Jesus gives every prophet, every pastor, every preacher, every small group leader. The teacher is here and he is calling for you. That is the message of Christianity. That is the message of the Bible, therefore. That is the message that we need to be preaching and speaking and encouraging those who are around us that are lost, confused and, 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 and broken. That is the message that good brothers, and in this case, good sisters, encourage one another with. The teacher is here and he is calling for you. And this is the response. If that's the message, if that's the one message, if that's ultimately the, the message of every preach that we preach from our platforms, then this is the response that we look for, that God looks for. And here it is. And she heard it and she rose quickly and went to him. She rose quickly and went to him, to him. It doesn't say, and she heard it and rose quickly and went to Martha's website. It doesn't say she heard it and went, rose quickly and went to Martha's charisma. It doesn't say, and she heard it and went and rose quickly and went to Martha's books. It doesn't say that she heard it and rose quickly and went to Martha's program. It doesn't say she heard it and went and rose quickly to Martha's songs. It doesn't say she heard it and rose quickly and went to Martha's dreams, visions and prophecies. No, it says she heard it, rose quickly and went to him. Because ultimately every good leader points people to him, to Jesus, the son of the living God. And I tell you this, if there's any leader that ultimately is pointing to themselves through the way they speak, through the way they teach, through the, what they emphasize, run a mile, friends, because that isn't a true, that isn't a good leader. Because... Because this is ultimately the aim of everything we do in every, every capacity in church to say these words. The teacher is here. He's here. He's come and he's calling you, calling you, whether you're a Christian, calling you, whether you're not a Christian. He's calling you. He wants to speak to you and have relationship with you, dear friends. And so it's only Martha that Jesus raises up directly because he raises Mary up through Martha's preaching and he raises Lazarus up through the sisters praying as they sent for him to come and intervene in the very beginning of the story. And so, though at times using other people, Jesus does a complete work. He raises Martha mentally he raises Mary emotionally and he raises Lazarus physically. Because he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Let me encourage you as I close to go to the prayer teams. Perhaps there are things that you know that you need raising from. You know that you need deliverance from. In the prayer teams, we have lots of Marthas who love to speak, who want to speak to you. And we have Mary's who want to pray for you. Amen. Amen.